Hello and welcome to the Sky Time podcast with me, Simon Cousins. This is the podcast that promotes Sky and profiles the people that drive the island's economy. It's also a celebration of Sky's vibrant history, culture and environment and aims to gently persuade visitors to spend more time, get off the beaten track and experience more of what our island has to offer. This week's edition of the Skytime podcast is sponsored by Torreveg Distillery on Slate, where an island-style, heavily peated single malt whisky is being distilled in a beautifully restored farmsteading. Stay tuned for the chance to win a much sought-after bottle of the Torreveg Legacy Series 2017. Now, my guest this week is a renowned hotelier both at home and abroad. Gordon Campbell Gray is the founder of Campbell Gray Hotels, with properties in exotic locations such as Beirut, Bahrain and Liberia. But closer to home, he's known for running the Wee Hotel Company, which owns the Pier House Hotel and seafood restaurant at Port Appen, and Sky's Three Chimneys. The company has just announced that both hotels will reopen for business on the 26th of April. Gordon, welcome to the Skytime podcast. Good morning. Hello. Very nice to see you. Now, before we look at the challenges of, uh, of the past year and the process of recovery for the industry, I'd like to spend a bit of time talking about your career. Tell me, how did you get started in the hotel business? I wanted to be an architect and I couldn't pass a science exam, so I was a bit stuck. And I was in London and my mother's sister, um, she uh, spent a lot of her life in carriages and she used to invite me to dinner when I was down there. And I, I thought it was just amazing. And it was such another world from where I came from. And so I suddenly thought I wouldn't mind being a hotelier to the shock horror of my entire family. Because my father famously said, but Gordon, you, you stay in hotels, you don't work in them, what would you do? And I said, I don't know, I think it just looks great. So I decided to, I, I went to Ross Hall. And I, at the time, was embarrassed about it. But now I'm quite proud. I walked out because I just thought it was awful quite frankly I thought it was I thought the caliber of teaching I thought I just wasn't inspired because I kept thinking of carriages and what the real world of luxury was so I left and I went south and I did my training in five-star hotels and um, to, to, to fast forward when I was 28 I bought my first hotel um, in Woodstock Oxfordshire near Blenheim Palace so that's, that's really how I got started. That's quite a meteoric rise for a lot of people who get into uh, the hospitality industry. They tend to start at the bottom of the, the ladder as a pot washer or something like that. But well, well, I, well, I did all that. I did all that. I mean, I spent six months crossing Brussels sprouts for the banqueting kitchen. And I, I didn't dare tell the chef who had love and hate tattooed on his knuckles that I had mastered it after a couple of days. I just did it like a good boy. Um, but what I would say also is when I was 22 and I had kind of finished my training, um, <clears throat> and I, this is, it's, it's an interesting part of the tale, I think. I was coming back from dinner with my aunt in carriages, and the dinner would have cost more than a weekly salary, which was £17. And I turned on the news and they showed you Bangladesh, it just immersed from the war, following the war in the early 70s, West East Pakistan, and Save the Children had a project there. And I was quite moved by it, to be quite honest, having just come in from this lavish dinner. 
And I rang up Save the Children, to cut a long story short, six weeks later, I flew to Bangladesh and I worked Save the Children uh, on the front line for five years, Bangladesh, Morocco, Nicaragua, Brazil. And um, so that took me for five years, really. And I'm vice president of Save the Children at the moment, a vice president, and I'm still very involved. So 50 years for Save the Children. So that's had a very strong influence in my career and, and, and actually a very strong influence on how I run the company and what I think matters and what does not. So was there a bit of a crossroads for you? Did you have to make a decision between working in the sort of international development aid sector uh, or returning to the hotel business? <clears throat> yes, uh, I got very ill in Bangladesh and was hospitalised in Thailand for several months. And then I went to Morocco and then Nicaragua. And I I just thought, you know, I'm, I'm just not that good a person to do this for the rest of my life because I started to be a bit of a a disaster follower the beast flooding in the Mato Grosso I'd fly out do an assessment and I realized I could spend my whole life just going to developing countries and and I don't know why I just had the hankering to get back to hotels but I didn't I didn't want to leave save the children I wanted to keep that as part of my life and I've been a big follower and very involved with Save Children ever since, really. So coming back to hotels, what did you learn on the way up when you were going through the various ladders and experiencing the different roles within a hotel that you were determined to take with you when you became a hotel owner? Well, first of all, I, I, the one thing I learned, apart from the skills, <coughs> I did learn from a wonderful general manager in one of the five-star hotels in London I was deputy general manager of, I learned that the guest is what it's all about. So, and and our mantra really has always been everything we do in the day is done in, in, in favour of the guest. So I realised that everything we do is for the guest, not for us, it's not to fit in with what we want, it's what the guest wants. And But what the other thing I learned was that what was really important was how you looked after the team. And I worked in large corporate hotels and I was never destined to be a corporate hotelier because I really couldn't stand it. Um, we would have directors come in who expected to be treated like VIPs and we had, we had an attitude that the staff were quite secondary. And I just thought one day when I, if I'm lucky enough to get my own little hotel I can put into practice all the things I believe in. And again, going back to say the children, constantly relating back to what real tragedy and suffering is all about. It's if you have any power at all in any position, nothing to do with hotels, any job, how you use that is very important. And if you've got a team, it's up to you can make it great to come to work, can make it awful, you can treat them beautifully, you can treat them disrespect. And I think that's where I coupled with the corporate world, which I really loathed, and also working with Save the Children, where I saw real suffering, I think that's created whatever person I am today. So what was the process of owning your first hotel, and, and where <clears throat> was that? Well, I I decided one that there was one specific... I remember that <laughs> the general manager had done an appraisal of me in this five-star hotel, He's still alive, so I won't mention his name, but he's very old. And he had went off on holiday and I was in charge. So I looked, I looked, I'd, I just went into his safe. I had the key to see how my appraisal 
what he'd written. <laughs> and I must say, it was A for everything. I was like some genius. I was, and then the comments that just said, tends to be rather insubordinate towards superiors. And I got out a red pen and just wrote, please define superiors. <laughs> and I put it back in his safe. I never know to this day to read it, but that was the moment I realized that this was not the world for me. And if that was how I was perceived, I should get out. And I was very lucky because when I went to the bank um, to, to put my little presentation together, I found a hotel that it was called the Dorchester and Woodstock, but I changed it into the Feathers. And I saw this manager and um, I had never done anything of my own before, but I was experienced. And he, he trusted me and said yes. And <clears throat> several years later, I, I remained in contact with him. And I said, you know, it was wonderful you did that. I, he said, but sadly, today I couldn't do that. I would have had to put this through so many panels, so many more, and you wouldn't have passed because you'd never had your own business. And he'd been a coffee bar, you went straight into a hotel. So I was one of the lucky ones. And I think people today, it's much harder because bank controls it so much. So I, I really lucked out with that. And of course, and I said to him, why many years ago, why did you say yes to me and lend me the money? He said, he said, I knew nothing about hotels. He said, I liked you and I really trusted you. And I put my, my name on the dot, uh, on the line. And I thought that was wonderful. And of course it was a huge success. And so he he'd made the, he was able to go on a gut instinct. And I think it's very tough for people today because that would not be so easy. And what did you learn in those early years of ownership? And did you make mistakes along the way? You know, um, I put together a lovely team. Um, we were very close. I was able to be so non-corporate that we could do everything kind of not by the book. When I look at the way companies are run today and all the all the checks and balances and consultants and advisors, and I think, wow, we, we none of that. We just did it. Uh, put together and found a lovely chef. I actually, I found this wonderful picture of, of the chef. Um, I had this black, Bayesian female head chef, which in the Cotswolds 40 years ago was absolutely, I, I said to a friend the other day, I was woke before there was any walk, but I, I just loved this woman. She was a fantastic, she used to come to work in an open Land Rover that was all done in camouflage. I mean, she was a complete character. So I was able to do all of that. I, I just could do whatever I wanted. Um, I used to travel to America, do the marketing. And I think people, I mean, we really punched above our weight because people arrived Everyone in America knew about the feathers, and it was just this little 21-bedroom hotel in Woodstock. But it was just, it was fantastic. I, I almost think there were the glory years because I just loved it. I just loved every minute. And it was, if we made mistakes, I, it sounds, I don't mean to be arrogant, I don't know what they were, but we, we were successful, we were happy. My dogs walked around with me, right? It was just lovely. The guests were lovely. It was fabulous. You've mentioned the importance of people a number of times already uh, in the interview. And this must have been absolutely key as you developed your business and, and started to own multiple hotels in multiple locations. You had to be able to trust your people. 100%. And, and then I'm not saying we didn't make mistakes. We hired someone who would disappoint us. But on the whole, we were very human. And my, my form of interviewing is very, it's very personal. 
I've really got, I remember when perhaps the biggest leap was when I did one Aldrich in London and I, um, I had been living in America, came back and I spent nearly a year finding a building and I hired a general manager, had been at the mansion in Hong Kong. I mean, he was blue chip and, and really lovely man and we're friends to this day. And I, I said, you know, Simon, let's just, we're only going to hire nice people. I said, people, nice people be nice to the guests, nice to their fellow um, staff. But I said, let's, we probably turned away some very um, serious people who were very good. But I said, I didn't really like her that much. Something said to me too, or, or him, whatever. And we, we were very particular hiring nice people. It's such a, it's such a simple word, but I think in its purest form, it's a really lovely word. And so we did that. We hired very nice people. And I would say for the majority of the time, we were very successful. And I, where I'm the proudest, if supposing I arrived in a hotel in Dubai or New York or something, and someone will say to me, do you know, I, they come up to me and say, you know, I worked for two years at One Aldrich, and I regard it as the most important two years of my life, what you taught me about humanity. And, you know, I, that makes me very proud because so many people went off. And when people were leaving, I, I, I remember one friend of mine, he was always so angry when anyone left and he didn't. And I said, I wish everyone who leaves me, I wish them well. But what I say to them is, take what you've learned and take it with you and take that niceness with you. So um, it's been the key of everything we've done. If somebody writes that we had a lovely dinner, a fabulous food dinner, if they say, and the staff were lovely, that's the bit that I can really go, Da-da, that's, that's what turns me on, really. It's often said, or was often said, that in the UK we have never really treated hospitality as a as a career. Do you think that has changed over your time in the industry? <coughs> Excuse me, I think it has changed. Um, it's been slow in coming. Um, I mean, certainly, as I said, when I said I, I said to my father I wanted to be a hotelier, and he said, "Well, you, you stay in them. What would you? You don't work in them. What would you do?" It, it was regarded as horrendous. And, um, but I, I knew what I wanted to do. And gosh, it was exactly what I should do. I, I've loved every minute of being a hotelier. But yes, I do agree. And I, I think um, the attitude of so many hotel, on, <clears throat> hotel owners, I mean, I remember when we, we did the hotel in Antigua and an English hotel owner um, out there, an English one, he said, um, I don't know why you're coming here. The locals are all stupid and lazy. And I said, really? What, what an attitude. And I ended up with the most wonderful team of Antiguans, 95% Antiguan. They were the loveliest people. Were they experienced when we started? No. Were they big-hearted? You would order a cappuccino on the beach and the lady would go off to get it. And you'd say, where's my cappuccino? And she'll have been into the kitchen and said, Mary, how are you? How's your sister? How's the baby? Your cappuccino was toast at that moment. She sort of, but you know, lovely people and when they did come back with it it was I'm sorry I met my sister and, and, and I loved all that it was so, it was so human so to go back to the question I I think it is better I think it is much better but um, there's a long way to go because I still see people who regard stuff as something turning on, on and off like a tap and it just drives me crazy um, and little things means so much to a team just during lockdown calling them dropping notes and I, I wrote a letter to one member of staff in the beer house and she said to me do you know 
I've got that letter on my wall and I thought it was just such a simple thing to do but I was genuinely hoping she was okay and um, she'd been, she'll be with us forever I'm sure because she's lovely and and so I think it's got better um, uh, but it's not there yet. So talk me through the process and, and why you chose to have hotels in such diverse locations as Beirut, Bahrain and Liberia. <laughs> Well, it, it, I've never had a master plan. <laughs> I've always been opportunity driven. I, I've always regarded life as an adventure. So I've never thought I want to end up there. I just, let's see what happened. Beirut, for example, a guest asked to see me in the lobby of one old rich and said, and if when a guest asks to see you, you never know whether they're going to tell you they've just had the worst dinner of their life or it's been the best day of their life. Anyway, they said, we just love the hotel. We love the way it looks because I do all the designs and I work with designers, but I kind of control all that quite rigorously. And they said, would you ever think of doing something like this in Beirut? And I said, no. And I said, I've been to Beirut. I went right after the Civil War. And I said, I thought it was terrible, if you don't mind me saying. It was all bombed out. Please come back. Well, that was on the Monday. And on the Thursday, I flew to Beirut. And I arrived. And I spent probably one of the most glamorous, fun, sexy weekends of my life. And I said, there was a hole in the ground. They said, this is where we'll put the hotel. And these are the plans. And it was stunning. And I said, we're on. And I thought it would be an adventure. And I thought it would be mildly successful. Well, it certainly was an adventure. The prime minister was assassinated. The Israelis bombed the airport. I mean, we had Sunni camps around the building, couldn't get in for sick. It was very dramatic. But I, I thought, I love it here. And to to be honest, when Le Grey opened, it was a sensation. It was hugely successful. They'd never seen anything like it. And then somebody there said, would you come and look at my project in Jordan? And then um, the Queen of Bahrain came to stay and asked to see me and said, would you, uh, we had lunch, and she said, she's a superwoman. And she said, would you ever think of giving me something like this in Bahrain? And I said, but I've never been to Bahrain. Now. I went to Bahrain and we found a site and now the merchant house is open in Bahrain. So all of this is just like a kind of a chain reaction. And I just, I mean, I wouldn't go anywhere. I, I've offered, I've been offered maybe 40 projects in my life that I haven't taken because I've, I've, I've often looked into the eye of the person and thought, I'd hate to work with this person. I mean, it's not, a, not an option. And I, ha- I had for many years a wonderful Swedish assistant. Um, assistant. We used to go to everything together on meetings and we'd catch each other's eye sometimes in the second minute going, no way. Because, <clears throat> again, if you've got an investor, it's got to be a nice person. And I, I have never, ever been driven by money. I think all we need is enough. We all decide individually what is enough. Some people, it seems it's never enough, but I've got a house on the loch. I've got my Labradors. I'm very happy. And so if, if a lovely project came along that would excite me, it's a yes. If it was a lovely project and somebody I didn't like was behind it, I'd say no. So to answer the question, they just rolled on, really. Caribbean was a friend of mine said, look, I've seen this burnt out shell and on a wonderful beach in Antigua. What do you think? We flew out. I said, it's a gold mine. It's a, it's a diamond at this place at the bay. It's fabulous. And, and Carl Abbey was born. A difficult project working in the Caribbean, construction, but so exciting. You know, one year I flew to Antigua 42 times. In the, I just back and forward. I loved every minute of it. 
So that's the international career of Gordon Campbell Gray. You then wanted to spend more time in Scotland and set up the, the Wee Hotels Company. How did you have to change your approach? Well, I think it started with, with I, I've got my house here in the lock and I would come up at Christmas and Easter and for the odd weekend. And, and on a Sunday when I was packing and ready to leave, I kept thinking, I don't want to leave. And one day I just said, so why am I leaving? Why, why am I flying to London tonight to fly to Bahrain tomorrow to da-da-da-da-da? Why am I doing all that when I want to stay here? And then I thought, well, let's think about that. Maybe it's time to, first of all, the word retirement doesn't exist for me. So it's not like I'm planning a retirement. But I thought maybe I'd like to shift gears and be would I rather be shoving two Labradors in the back of a Range Rover um, that's 30 years old and going off to one a country hotel, or would I like to be sitting in a first-class lounge flying to Timbuktu? And I thought, I'd rather have the dogs in the back of the old Range Rover. And so I chose that. And I think what really triggered it was the, the Pier House, which is just 20 minutes from my house. I used to go there regularly and just sit in the of the longest steam, a glass of wine, and just look at that lovely view. I think it's one of the most beautiful views anywhere, actually. It's quite beguiling. And I and the owners are lovely. And I just sit there on my own, dog at my feet. And uh, they said one day, the owners, you know, you know, we're thinking I'd I'd been a speaker at an event. I had never told them I was at Hotelier. They didn't know who I was, they didn't even know my name, but I went for years. And they heard me speak at something and they saw I was a hotelier and they said, we think maybe like we've been here 12 years, our family are down in the south, maybe it's time. Do, do you know anyone who might be interested to buy? And I just kind of went doing, I'd love to buy it. And they never put it in the market. And that's how it started. And I'll tell you, <coughs> it is a shift from the, the five-star hotel, but I'll tell you what, None of our hotels have ever been what I call dripping deluxe five-star hotels. They've always been very environment considerate. We've never done silly things. We've never been gimmicky. We've, we've had very basic values at the top level, and, and service was prime in that. The design, the art collections. I mean, one of the, my favorite things was over the years, traveling the world, putting art collections together, hundreds and hundreds, not thousands of pieces. And I loved all that. I found that very exciting and it made the hotels look much more interesting than the standard um, brand chain hotels. And suddenly I just thought, you know, I'm, it's, it, I don't want to sound blasé to say I'm kind of luxed out. But one day I thought, you know, I really do I want to do that? I love the pier house. It's, it's, people arrive and they arrive in bicycles and kayaks. They come walking, they cycle down, they come in Bentleys, they come in old rusty Nissan, you know, they're in, it's humanity. And they all walk in and it's hilarious. The first thing everyone does is, oh, cold today, wet today, lovely day. The weather is the first, <laughs> it's obsessive weather spot. <clears throat> and I thought, you know, I love this. And in a way, very much back to my roots. I mean, I grew up in Scotland and I love Scotland. And, and it's like I've done the whole circle. So I realized that would I like to be, at the pier house or would i like to be to one of the other hotels actually the pier house started to win and i'm very proud of it because i think it, the local sourcing the food and everything is very important to us it's just very authentic and the guests who come are lovely the rooms are comfortable it's not it is not dripping deluxe but it's really not anyone could come i mean if someone said we're 
we're, we've got Sweden Claridge's were coming up the weekend. I, I, I'll welcome them with no no qualification that I hope they like it. It's it's authentic, and it's just a, a chapter really in life to suddenly be happier doing that, and I'm, I really love it. So when Shirley and Eddie Spear decided to retire from the Three Chimneys, was that an obvious buy for you? It, it wasn't an obvious buy. I mean, Shirley and I were speaking at the same event, and <clears throat> she came up to me afterwards. I, I'd never met her, but I knew of her. And she just said, I loved what you said, da, da, da. Um, could we have lunch? So we met in Edinburgh for lunch. They live in North Berwick, and... We, um, she said she was thinking maybe it was time to sell. And I, to be honest, that, that my idea of heaven going through France is not necessarily doing a Michelin star trail. I would rather often go to the brasserie in the corner and have French onion soup and a steak frites and Mr. Chocolate. I mean, I'm, I love food, but I wouldn't say I'm a gourmet, but I'm quite particular. But uh, so it, it, it was a bit fancy for me at one level, I thought. So I, anyway, I went up and I, I did have a most fabulous lunch. I mean, it was, if you're going to go to that level, they were hitting every, Chef Scott um, did a wonderful job. So I said, you know, I think this would be lovely. It, I love the fact that they really are the local sourcing kings. I mean, everything was, Chef is manic about sourcing. And I liked him, I liked the place. And I thought, this is a unique opportunity for somebody that's come along. And so, yeah, I said, let's go for it. So we bought it. Um, and I don't regret it. And although the food is different in style to the beer house, they're both best in class. So I think that's all you need to be. I've always said, if you're a hot dog, be a great hot dog, but don't pretend you're a steak, you're a hot dog. And I feel that's, I think, whatever you do, do it really well. And I think, and we have a lot of guests go from one to the other, and in their own way, like them equally. So, um, and I think I think what I also thought it it made the Wee Hotel Company because the plan the plan has been to maybe go to half a dozen if the right properties come up, and I think they've all got to be in an amazing location, preferably in water. And but this year has knocked me for six because we're just consolidating, and there are lots of things on the market coming my way. But I'm just thinking. Let's just get through this year. And if we we're feeling buoyant, we could. But I thought having that, so the, the Three Chimneys was very much part of that bigger picture because I thought it really does show that we take food very seriously because when you go to any of my hotels in the past, but now in Scotland, food is really a big deal. We, we really care about it and, and, and it's got to be, it's just got to be beautiful. So the Three Chimneys, it was quite a, it was maybe a little grander in, in the presentation than, say, the Pier House. But it, 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 was, it wasn't silly food. I, I'm a, I always say no skid marks in the plate. I'm allergic to skid marks in the plate, <laughs> but there was none of that. It was just beautifully executed at the highest level. So that's really why and how the Three Chimneys came about. Was there a dilemma for you in either putting the Gordon Campbell Grey stamp on the Three Chimneys or retaining what Shirley and Eddie had built up and developed over the years? Um, well, I, I certainly, if I can just wind back, when I sold the feathers, which was really spectacularly successful, the people who bought it um, were a bit flash, flash bang wallop from London. 
And they looked at it and thought, gosh, if Gordon can make it this successful the way it is, wait till we get our hands on it. So they did a number on it and they did fancy menus and they didn't do food in the bar and and it just did that. It plummeted. And I thought, how stupid not to sit in something for six months to see why and how it works. And then obviously add your own twist. So I no, my my brief was that everything stays the same initially. And we've had it for a while now. And I'm just making little tweaks. For example, we we took away the the nine course set dinner, which was an option, because Chef and I just felt maybe that was a bit outdated. We thought it was such a long performance. We worked out that if you had the the that menu with the wine, you had 55 visits to the table with a waiter. And we really said, does anyone want that? I mean, really, when you're, I know you've gone for this extravaganza, but really, could we make it just a little bit simpler, not affecting the quality of anything? So we've just, I think we've slightly slimlined it a stream, sorry, streamlined it, that's what I'm trying to say, and it's gone down really well. And we're, we've actually been busier than we ever were. But but nothing, if you went before, you would not think, oh, it's changed. It feels the same. I've been desperate to change the uniforms, which I actually have to say, I think were the worst in the entire world. And <laughs> and, and I just thought, how do they have such awful uniforms? Well, I'm pleased to say that we reopened with new uniforms. <laughs> but little things like that. And we've I've changed some of the art, put some of my art in, and we just added touches, but the, the ethos is exactly the same. And similarly with the Pier House, I mean, the owners who had it before did a lovely job. I'd like to think we just maybe tweaked it up a wee bit. We've, again, art, changed some of the furniture, um, new uniforms. But basically, um, <clears throat> no, I think everything I've really ever done in the past, I've created from scratch. So it's been ground up and everything. But this is the first time I've ever bought anything that is a going concern, that is doing well. And I wasn't going to be silly and think, I'm going to change this, because I think both owners have done such a wonderful job. I just wanted to gradually... Um, <clears throat> I, I remember years ago at the Leading Hotels of the World annual convention, one year, every year it's, it's held in a different country and city, and it was in Amsterdam, and Freddie Heineken came to the meeting and he showed us the logo of the, of the Heineken label. And he showed what happened to it in 10 years. And 10 years before, you know, the crown, the Royal Crown was huge and curly-whirly. And, and then each year, they just kind of like, the crown got smaller and then the curly-whirly got less. And then they added a little flash of red. And actually, it went from being terribly classic to, to looking the same, but everything had changed. But he did it so slowly. Unlike Coca-Cola, you know, when they had their drastic Coca-Cola classic and all that rebranding. So I've, I've learned that just little changes only if they make it better, not for the sake of it. I, I have no ego about it's mine. It's like it's 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 just got to be a seamless performance with a little bit. I think I obviously think I make it just that little bit different and nobody would be offended and hopefully happier. It's probably and is a silly question, but would you have gone ahead with the purchase of the the three chimneys if you had known what was around the corner in terms of the COVID nineteen pandemic? 
Well, our timing was brilliant, to say that, <laughs> because we, 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 I have to say, we, we bought at the top of the market, you know, we didn't, there was no discount, <laughs> probably more than that. Uh, no, I think, um, you know, I just, I think you just can't. I, 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 my whole life, I've always said, a decision you take was the right decision at the time. And I don't think you can go back. I, I've, I've done lots of things that maybe, I wonder why I did that. But when I made the decision, um, when I got married, it was the right decision the time I got divorced. But I don't think you can do that. I think otherwise you go mad because hindsight's a wonderful thing. But it's a very good question to snide because it, we certainly got a very short span of running it normally. And we're just beginning to tweak and order the new chef's table, you know, and think and sourcing the local elm and discussing a local man in the sky to make it, you know, all the little things that I find really lovely and seductive, really. And then suddenly, boom, it, it's, I don't know, maybe, maybe we wouldn't, but we did. And I'm just sure that we've just to get through this year, which is looking good. And then, hey, presto, who knows? What it's a good question because I've thought I've asked myself it a hundred times. But what can you do if you buy a car and it's a dud? Would you not have bought it? You didn't know at the time, so yeah. you just you just to be move on, move on. You've got your finger on the pulse of the whole hospitality sector. How damaging do you think the the COVID crisis will be to the sector in the long run? Because the industry's been supported uh, by the government. There's been the furlough scheme. But once all that ends, what is going to be the fallout for the industry? Well, I think there is going to be fallout. I have a, I have a, a Zoom call every Friday with um, quite a few restaurateurs and hoteliers. Um, um, and we kind of, it's been a bit of a therapy session for everybody. In fact, last year, it was a year to the day since we had the first one. It's four o'clock every Friday. And we looked forward to them tremendously because everyone had different problems where people got bars in Glasgow and Edinburgh, people with restaurants, people with hotels in the country, people with hotels in the city. And <clears throat> it's hit them terribly. And Edinburgh is really bad. They've had a terrible time. And I think as we come out of it immediately, the country properties are going to do better. I think that's for sure. So I think the city decimated. And I think many places have closed and never reopened. And so the long it will be long term. I mean, to give you an example, we have um, we always try to hire locally if we can, and it's it, it's not always easy. And staffing and staff housing is always the big problem in the country, in, in, in any country, but particularly in Scotland and particularly in the Highlands. And <clears throat> and we've got people who've been furloughed and are in Italy, and you know it's a, it's a lot of money to bring them back. They're all to be quarantined. And then I would say that most of our staff have been impeccable and they're all coming back and their jobs have been held open and that's fine. And and we, we're not hiring some of the, for example, some of the people we'd hire just for the summer. We're not hiring them this year because we'll make do. I remember we, we lost the kitchen porter up in, in Sky last year and the chefs all said, don't worry, we'll fill in that gap. That was the, that was the sense of support and I never forgot that, and I never will. And I remember the people who, who said, no, no, we're, we're fine. It's only three more months, and we'll do it. And, you know, it's, 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 it's not, not a nice thing to, to do and cook. They did it. And so, but 
for example, with two people in Italy who were being furloughed and they have said they're not coming back. And they only told us last week. And that's very disappointing because we've looked after them, we've kept in touch with them, we've topped, you know, topped them up, we've we've done all the things. And but you just have to again, you can't you can't hold a grudge against the team because of somebody who's a bad app. So we just say, okay, that was unfortunate. But the point of the story is a lot of people are not coming back because um, they wanted jobs. There just won't be the jobs. And I know many people in Edinburgh who've gone back to Romania, and I know them professionally. I mean, they're not. Um, I just know through the, their employers, they're never coming back. So I think either there'll be no staff for a lot of places, or there will not be any places. So I think the long-term fallout, well, short-term definitely. But I think, yeah, it's, it's not going to be not going to be good for a while. What I what I hope very much is that individuals who've struggled to get through it will make it and that we don't end up with too many chains, that it's not the big boys who take all these sites. I hope some of the smaller um, privately owned restaurants, cafes, bars, I hope they somehow make it because that's that's the charm of, of going out. And what are your bookings looking like for this season and are customers <clears throat> showing confidence that they will be happy to travel, will be able to travel? fantastic we've we've had to really bring in bring out a furlough people back early to handle the telephone yeah no we're um we're very very busy and, and i mean meals dinners lunches three chimneys and beer house absolutely packed I, I think we'll be full um but again with the restaurant it's socially distanced and then somewhere like the three chimneys that's terrible because it's very small and we've really not got any guarantee of outside. I mean, we could never take an outside booking on Sky ever, but on the day it may be fine, in which case we might be able to see we can do outside, but rarely we could never guarantee that. But but bookings are good. I think across the board they're very good in the country areas. Cities are struggling. The Edinburgh and Glasgow, I think they've got a long way to go. And uh, I mean, I know... I was talking to someone who's got a hotel in London and he's not now open until September. He doesn't believe you can make it work. So it's, it's, and if they're not flying in from America there, or just think of the big hotels in Scotland that rely on, you know, very expensive, high, high spend Americans. It's very tough. But um, the, the thing that's very difficult that we're, we're always working in the dark because, I mean, nobody's actually told us we'll be socially distanced, but we're assuming we will but it's not being stated. So where everything's a guess. And it is kind of hard to imagine that you would go to dinner at Three Chimneys and have a fabulous meal and no wine and have to be thrown out at eight o'clock and, and have a room. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's only for three weeks, but we even considered not opening for them. And then we decided, yeah, it's a soft opening. We'll get, get everyone back in. Because interestingly... I've noticed quite a few of the staff are quite nervous. You know, they've been so out of it. They're, they've got, I'm, I'm having to hold hands with people to say, it'll be fine, don't worry. What, what, all the dead plants outside, I'm going to make them all beautiful again. Don't worry, we've just got to paint that ceiling, which fell down in the bar. We're, it's now been repaired. We just need to paint it. We love it, don't worry. But I feel everybody just a little bit stressed because it's like going back to school, really. Um, but I think the, there will be long-term damage, yeah. yeah. 
And does it worry you that you won't be able to offer the guests the same experience? Because all of the COVID-compliant measures, not just social distancing, but um, screens and uh, hand sanitizers and uh, direction of travel markers on the floors and things like that, it makes any environment seem incredibly clinical. (laughs) So how do you keep your three chimneys experience the same as it was one of the things we, we've tried to make everything as safe as can be and of course the, the reaction to that has been from the guests i feel really safe so there's been no objection we've not done anything over the top i mean we give people a paper menu and we don't wipe it it's a new and it's thrown away what we found in the, in the three chimneys was that everybody kept the menus now and took them away which was absolutely quite nice but Basically, yes, it's hard because we're not able to, you know, do the whole thing, take someone to their room and show them that kind of give them the instruction sheet and they go in themselves and ask them if they want to the room service every day, but we'll do it every other day. We're having to compromise and it's a shame, but at the same time, people's gratitude to be able to come has been so enormous that I think they put up with anything, which is amazing. They're very appreciative. I mean, <clears throat> with the distancing, we've, we've just put another terrace outside, very small, for three more tables at the beer house. But, you know, the distancing to, to, to just service all these tables with not excess staff, because this is not the time to have one waiter more than you need, you know, and then you get... It's it's com- very complicated. But the guests have been really... I mean, I, I'll tell you something I did. After, after we closed the first time, the first lockdown... I was so grateful to all the guests who'd come to stay. I realized how much it meant to all of us that they came because they might have said, I'm scared to go out. They didn't. They trusted us. They were nearly all regulars. And I just sat down. It took me two weeks. I wrote individual, handwritten, with my fountain pen, letters to every single guest who'd been to stay, to thank them for coming and to say, I just want you to know how much it meant to me and the team that you came there was no sales pitch. I wasn't saying come back. I wasn't saying it's a bargain. And I just wanted them to know how much that meant to us. And I'm a terrible writer. So for me to write 580, there were printed cards with the name of the 580 cards. It was a nightmare. I could only do it six in an hour. But I just thought, <clears throat> if I don't do it, they'll never know how much it meant. And the interesting thing was when you build a relationship with your guests, a third of the guests replied to my thank you. How about that? Isn't that amazing? So I um, we, we, we're small. We can personalize. Um, but that's what makes us hopefully help us survive, really. There's been a lot said and written about the pandemic being a cause for us to reset in in the way that we travel and we engage with communities and the and the environment. What are your thoughts on that, specifically in relation to Sky? One of the things I just love. One day I was going over to Isla and the ferry stopped at Colnsey, and I saw this mum, dad, and two little kids getting off with the backpacks on bicycles, and and it was so it was a lovely day. And I remember thinking. How old-fashioned is that? How really lovely to see a family having an old-fashioned Scottish holiday. This was pre-pandemic, by the way. This was just a family doing it anyway. And these are the kind of people who really, I think, they enjoy every aspect and wouldn't dream of dropping a sweetie paper. You know, they're they're impeccable. 
And I do think people are slowing down a little. I also think, um, and I know speaking personally, I know the things I haven't missed, and I haven't missed being overly social. I haven't missed going to big big events and black tie dinners. and I never really enjoyed them, but I always felt I had to do them. And I think a lot of these things, you think, well, did I really have to? Or will I really do it again? So I think there'll be a lot of changes. I mean, I know that the Katie's in London, which I go to every year and I'm a judge, um, they're saying, oh, we're going to have them in September and they'll be the biggest and the best. And I'm, I'm thinking, really? I mean, do you think 1,200 people want to cram into the great room of the Grosvenor House? I don't know is the answer. But it doesn't, I don't think, oh my gosh, I really miss that. What I do miss is going out to a lovely dinner with friends or family and very low key. So I think, um, yeah, I think people, there'll be certain people who just dying to go back to Mallorca or Costa Brava and lie in the sun and fry, and that's fine, I get it. But and when the weather here sometimes is bad, I wouldn't mind doing it myself. But on the whole, I think people, one thing is already showing that um, we've got lots of people coming for four and five nights, which they didn't used to do it. But some people, somebody's booked for 10 days, somebody for a week. They're having old-fashioned holidays like we're going to Port Appen for our spring week, whereas before it would have been a night in Port Appen and da da da, and creating this schedule. That, and I always, I always think tourists staying one night in a place it's insane because they just arrive at dinner, leave, they see nothing. So I, I think to answer you, quite accurate. I think people are slowing down and having more lengthy holidays and. Um, Personally, when I we've we've seen quite a few families booking at the pier house, particularly for a few nights, and I think it's lovely because we can we can arrange kayaking lessons for them. They can go. I mean, we can really make their trip interesting. So yeah, I, I hope so. I also think um, statistically, a lot of Scots people I've discovered don't know Scotland. You know, their whole life is spent flying south, and it's. How about discovering Scotland? So I think um, I think that's lovely. And what infrastructure investment do you think Sky needs to support this new type of tourism? <laughs> oh, well, I don't. I mean, the one thing I love is the the, the, the strap line that says um, "Enjoy Sky, Baba, leave no trace." I just think that is the best line ever, and I think that's. If people would honour that, I was driving back from Sky quite recently, and I had a young puppy Labrador with me, so I needed to go out of a pee, and, and we stopped at, the, at this lay-by, and it was a beautiful view. And then, and, and we looked down the side, and it was rubbish everywhere. I couldn't believe my eyes. It was, it was so unbelievable. You couldn't see it from the road. You need to stop. And I kept thinking, who would do that? Who would drop? all this rubbish bottles and, and of course with a puppy trying to pick everything that was disgusting and so I think education of people but I think yeah I mean what comes first the chicken or the egg I mean there are there are a lot of people who don't want tourists and spending money and lose and all that stuff but I don't know if people just behave better I think everything's fine <laughs> if they just behave themselves and again perhaps and I know Sky promotes this a lot. Do a bit of homework before you come and plan your trip. Don't just do the classic things, but actually get the most out of your visit. And I think Sky Connect does a good job trying to really explain to people 
there's a lot to do here. Finally, we all hope this is the end of lockdown, but where is your confidence level sitting that once you reopen on the 26th, that will be it? It's all, all guns blazing from then on. Well, it would be a it would be a silly man who didn't put a qualification in. But I, I, first of all, I think people just feel now we have to get on. I think there's a real desire to get on. And if you don't want to go out and take a risk in your eyes, don't go out, but people need to be allowed to do it. The big picture, I mean, I've just been listening to the news today and it's all about Brazil. And I've got friends with two hotels in Brazil who just, they're suicidal, they don't know what to do. My mainspring says we'll, we'll come out of it in reasonable form and we'll carry on. Things will be different. Nothing will ever be the same, for certainly for several years, maybe forever, I don't know. But I think we'll we'll get on. We'll have to live with it. The vaccine, obviously, helping. Um, but the qualification is: imagine if there were to be another pandemic, another another um, virus that just is beyond. I don't know. I think it's opened everyone's eyes to that everything's precious now, and nothing can be taken for granted. But I, I am. Whether it's out of necessity, because I've got to make the businesses work, I cannot afford to let them fail, and I will not let them fail. So part of me is going, we'll be fine in in reduced circumstances. That's what I'm hoping, but I don't know the answer. Gordon Campbell-Gray, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much. I mentioned at the start that this edition of the Skytime podcast is sponsored by Torreveig Distillery, where the first bottling of the Torreveig Legacy 2017 was released earlier this year. For your chance to win a much sought after bottle, answer this question. Name the farm where the Torreveig Distillery now sits. Send your answers to simon at simoncousinsmedia.co.uk. Please also get in touch if you would like to sponsor Skytime or advertise your business on the next podcast. Until then, stay safe. Aikivan.